Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of mergers and acquisitions. I'm your host this week, Ed Hammond. I'm filling in for Alex Sherman, who returns next week. This week, I am joined by Craig Giamona. He is Bloomberg's consumer reporter, and we are going to be talking about candy. So, Craig, we're going to return to a deal that you were actually on here discussing a few weeks ago, which is Mondelez's attempt to buy Hershey's. At the time you last came in, it was all still very live. It was up in the air, and it looked like it might actually happen. Uh, yesterday, it looked like it really died a death. Um, Mondelez came out publicly and said they were going to walk away from the deal, that there was no path forward. It was sort of inactionable. Um, it's really just the latest in a very long line of efforts to buy Hershey's. I think Wrigley's have tried, Nestle's have tried, even Cadbury's, which hails from the UK um, and was bought a few years ago by Kraft and Mondelez, has also tried. And now Mondelez joins the list of these companies to have been spurned by Hershey's. So I guess it would be good to get into the idea of like, what is it that makes this company so well defended? Why can no one buy it? And what is behind the sort of defense mechanism that has prevented anyone from actually being able to perform a takeover here? So I suppose let's start with this trust, which is the Hershey Trust, which sort of sits behind the board, has ultimate decision making as to whether or not this company gets sold. What informs the way they look at these situations? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. And you're right. It is the Hershey Trust. That's sort of been the impediment over the year. They control something like 80 percent of the voting shares of the Hershey company. It's a massive charity, $12 billion charity that runs the Milton Hershey School for underprivileged children. They operate Hershey Park and the resorts company. But the Hershey Chocolate Company, kind of the cash cow for the trust. So over the years, they've just been seen as an impediment to a deal. I mean, if you're a Mondelez or you're Cadbury, whoever, you have to go to the Hershey board and say, here's our offer. Hershey board can say, okay, then you got to go to the trust because they control 80% of the share. So over the years, Hershey has kind of been the company that can't be bought. You know, they're struggling right now. They've had an ill-fated expansion into China that hasn't gone well, really weighing on profits. You know, I think Mondelez maybe saw an opportunity here. What's been going on with the trust is that they've been getting into some scandal. There's been accusations of lavish spending. You know, the board is turning over, some people leaving, some people joining. So there's turmoil and flux at the Hershey Trust, which I think is why Mondelez maybe thought this was an opportunity to get it done. But, you know, once again, the trust kind of proved to be the barrier that nobody can get around. As you say, the trust has been in trouble for sort of serving its own interests. But in in reality, the trust are there to represent who? Who are they supposed to be sort of safeguarding? Well, so the charity, you know, Milton Hershey, the founder of the company, he set this thing up. So they have the fiduciary responsibility to operate that school. That's, you know, first and foremost in their mission and to, you know, to run the the Hershey Resorts and Entertainment Company. So it's hard to know exactly how they look at a sale of Hershey Company. You know, a big piece of the dividend, they own, like I said, 80 percent of the voting rights. So the dividends of the Hershey Company go directly to them. So it's a major source of revenue for the trust. So. When they're weighing these deals, I mean, I guess they could sell the company, take that money, put it into an endowment, continue to fund the school, or maybe invest it elsewhere, buy other stocks. But they look at, you know, the perpetuity of operating that school and operating the charity, because this is, like I said, major cash cow for them. And Mondelez sort of recognized some of this, because as we know, when they first came out with this suggestion that they were going to buy Hershey's, they as well as putting a big number on the table, they also had this kind of raft of social commitments. They were going to keep the company in the town of Hershey's. They were going to move the headquarters there. They were going to keep the brand name, etc. But it still 
wasn't enough. Is there a sense out there of what would be enough? What could convince the board of this company to approve it and then for it to go to the trust and then also to go yes? No, no, I don't think there is. And I don't think it's any one particular thing. You know, in this case, we, you know, the Mondelez came in at 107 a share, $23 billion offer. They went up to 115. Hershey said, no, we're not even going to talk at 125. And that's the Hershey company. That's not even the trust. So we don't even know this. You know, to all of our understanding, this was just nixed directly by the Hershey chocolate board. There's some overlap there with the trust board. But this wasn't a situation where Hershey wanted to do the deal and it got to the trust and they nixed it. That's happened in the past. But, you know, as far as your question, I mean, no, I don't think we have a good idea of what it is that somebody would have to come along and say that would get the trust to do this deal. I think right now what's happening is that the trust has reached a deal with the Pennsylvania Attorney General to turn over. They have five members of the board that will leave, you know, a couple this year, a couple next year, four new members added. So there's really, the whole board is really turning over. And I think the sense is that once those new people get settled in, then maybe they can look with fresh eyes at the potential of doing a deal. But, you know, you're looking out into 2017 and 2018 before that happens. And as far as we understand from our reporting, at least, this is something that was made clear to Mondelez that the trust wouldn't even consider a deal until it had been reconstituted, which, as you say, could be a year or more out. That's right. So it's been, it was two months, basically between the time that the initial offer became public at the end of June and then what happened yesterday. And, you know, in that time, I guess Mondelez was trying to get the deal done. There was some sense that, you know, out there that maybe that, uh, you know, maybe these changes at the board, at the trust made the deal more likely. I was skeptical of that idea, again, because you have, you know, the chairwoman is leaving at the end of next year. You have all these entrenched people that have been there leaving. It's hard to see them jamming a deal through on their way out the door. So now we have all these new members coming in. They get settled. Maybe the offers come along. They take a look at it with fresh eyes. They don't have the political baggage, perhaps, and maybe they do it. But again, we're talking a couple of years out before that really happens. We've seen Hershey's react pretty badly this morning. I think the stock traded off about 12%. What can the investors of this company actually do if they want to engender a deal? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. You know, there have to be some shareholders out there that you know, thought this was a pretty good offer. You know, the offer at 115 was like an 18% premium to where the stock was trading before the negotiations became public. You know, again, I, I'm not really sure. I mean, the investors in Hershey have to be aware of the situation. This is this is not a new thing. This trust has been there for years. There's, you know, going back to Nestle and Wrigley, these companies have come at Hershey, tried to buy it. You know, it, it made sense for Mondelez in some ways. It would have created the largest uh, you know, candy company in the world, given Mondelez some exposure to the U.S. So I think you're right. There's got to be a group of shareholders sitting there saying, man, this was, a, this was a pretty good offer. And once again, that door is shut. The stock is now down the most in 14 years. It's basically given up the whole rally that happened when this idea was out there. So it's back to kind of where it was trading before the initial talks became public. What those investors can do, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe try to make some noise, put some pressure. But again, it's not going to change the basic structure, which is that everything has to go through the trust. You talked a minute ago briefly about sort of some of the issues that Hershey are facing. I guess an obvious question, if this deal is now dead, which it looks to be, what next for Hershey's? What happens? Yeah, so I mean, the big thing for Hershey is, um, you know, America, they make almost all of their money selling chocolate in the U.S. Obviously, American consumers trying to cut down on sugar, you know, people paying attention to their health, they're trading up for premium dark chocolate. So Hershey's found itself a little bit off trend. You know, they made a big push into beef jerky. They bought a company called Crave out of uh, California from wine country. They've tried to diversify their portfolio because, you know, it's just people are just not buying as many Hershey bars or Reese's cups as they once did. So Hershey is, uh, they bought a company a couple of years ago, a Canadian company called Brookside. that's gotten them more into sort of the premium category. 
So they've tried to work on their portfolio. They made a big push into China. That has not gone well. You know, their international division posted a loss last year. They're expected to do that again this year. So figuring out China would really help them. And then, you know, trying to get more products on the shelves that are a bit more on trend with U.S. consumers. That's if you're talking about their core business, that's kind of what they have to do. And this, you know, this push into beef jerky, there's some optimism there that, uh, you know, they can sort of sell that to the customer that's not looking for a sugary snack. They want protein. So, you know, they're trying to get their portfolio more on trend. And beef jerky now considered like a health and wellness product? It is. It's one of the amazing things. Uh, You know, I follow the food trends quite closely. And um, beef jerky is not something that I would think of as a traditional health food product, but high protein, low carbs, no sugar. So it checks some boxes for you know people that are looking to snack and are uh, on the go. I guess compared to Reese's Pieces, it probably is somehow healthy. So we talked about Hershey. Now, what about Mondelez? Like Mondelez, very keen to do this deal. They talked a very good game about why it made sense. It gave them this sort of international snacks business. They're obviously very long outside the US. Hershey, very big in the US. What can they do next? Is there another target they can go after? You know, in talking to people this morning, um, there's not obvious names that come up. You know, people mention Kellogg, they've got Pringles, Cheez-It, Keebler. You know, Mondelez's biggest category is biscuits, what they call biscuits, which is cookies and crackers. So some people have mentioned Kellogg. You know, Kellogg has its own foundation. It's not quite the hurdle that uh, the Hershey Trust is. But there's not a lot of um, obvious names out there. You know, a lot of people viewed this Mondelez offer as a defensive move. You know, Mondelez is on the list of companies that people think could get taken over. There's kind of a wave of consolidation happening in the food and beverage industry. Kraft Heinz is mentioned a lot as somebody that might be interested in Mondelez. You know, Bill Ackman got into the Mondelez stock. That was kind of the idea that he thought that a takeover was coming. You know, hard to say, but in asking people this morning, there weren't a lot of obvious names that came up for Mondelez to add. Hershey kind of was a unique opportunity for them. And is there something we can we can take from this deal in terms of a broader read across to just trends, M&A trends, particularly in, in the sort of food industry? We've seen, I guess, broadly this pivot towards health and wellness. We saw, obviously, Danone going off the white wave earlier. General Mills did the Annie's deal. There's been lots of speculation about other companies moving in that space. Is this... Do you think this deal tells us that we're sort of at the beginning of a, a bigger push in food M&A? I do. I mean, you, last year was a big year in, in uh, food M&A. A lot of that was the Kraft Heinz deal. That was a massive deal, $55 billion. But I think the specter of 3G running Kraft Heinz has really put everyone on notice in the food industry. They really have to improve their margins. Everyone's cutting costs. And the fact of the matter is, companies like General Mills, Conagra, Kellogg, you know, the so-called center of the store, the grocery store, it's struggling. You know, people want fresh food. They're not buying those traditional staple items that dominated shelves for decades. You know, cereal has had a very, very, very hard time. So companies like General Mills, Kellogg, under pressure to get their houses in order because the big bad 3G is kind of out there looming. They're going to do something. And I think that's forced a lot of other deals through. And I think, you know, we're, we're just on the precipice here of seeing the next wave of, of consolidation. And is is the sort of health and wellness trend going to be a big part of that? Or do you think we'll just see sort of the traditional, as you say, like center of store companies come together because there's some synergies there? I think the health and wellness thing is a big part of it. You know, obviously, Hain is a name that's being discussed. They have a nice portfolio of sort of quote unquote, better for you snacks. It's a smaller company that has its own issues right now. Right. Accounting problems. Shares have been crushed recently because they came out and they said they had some stuff they needed to restate. That's right. No one likes to hear the words, you know, internal control. So they're looking at their accounting. But that's a company that prior to that had been high on the list of something that somebody could bolt on. You know, maybe a Pepsi wants it, maybe a General Mills, even a Mondelez. So I do think health and wellness, you know, the Danone White Wave was a big one. White Wave was kind of also at the top of the list. So I I think you're going to see 
I think you're going to see the big guys go after health and wellness, maybe with some smaller deals and then potentially big consolidation with the, uh, you know, the large packaged foods guys, some other big deals potentially coming. And as you say, some of this could be almost defensive play because you have this specter of 3G, very aggressive Brazilian That's right. I think, based acquirer. And everyone looking at Warren Buffett's cash pile and, you know, he just has a ton of cash right now and saying, he likes these 3G guys. They've proven they get results. He's got the cash. So, you know, and some of these companies are classic Buffett companies, iconic American brands that maybe have been a little bit undermanaged. You know, so I just think that there's this idea out there that 3G has the capacity that could get with Buffett again to do something else. So everyone's just kind of on notice. Eventually, Buffett will own all of the food on our tables. That's right. So that takes us to the end of this episode of Deal of the Week. You can expect more from Bloomberg reporters and M&A professionals doing deals in real time. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and at Bloomberg.com, as well as on iTunes, Google Play, or any app on which you can listen to podcasts. And take a minute to rate and review the show while you're there. Uh, lastly, you can find Craig and I on Twitter. I am at Ed Hammond NY, and Craig is at... S-I-T-K-A, writer. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>